You're listening to Comics Are Awesome, episode number three. Welcome to the Comics Are Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Mark Boker, comic book reader, retailer, and evangelist. My featured guest tonight is Joshua Williamson. Joshua resides in Portland, Oregon, home of big trees, rain, great beer, and half the comic book industry. He has written for Marvel, DC, IDW, and is currently writing Captain Midnight and Predator for Dark Horse, and Ghosted and Birthright for Image slash Skybound Comics. His most known work to date is Nailbiter from Image Comics. Josh, thank you for being a guest on Comics Are Awesome. No problem, man. This is good times. Cool. Well, I've given our listeners a brief introduction, but let's give them a chance to really get to know you. What's your origin story? How did you discover comics? And take us through your journey from reader to creator. Oh, man. Okay. It's kind of a long story, but I'll try to keep it. I'll try to do a version of a short version, I guess. Um, so I started reading comics when I was a little kid. My mom and dad, they had bought comics when they were younger. And so when I was a kid, it was already in the house. You know, it was already like there was already short boxes in the house of a lot of older comics like Doom Patrol, uh, What the Jerry, Jerry Lewis, Bob Hope, um, old Jack Kirby, Fantastic Four. Um, and so it was just kind of in the house. And they also had the uh, the greatest, no, the great comic book heroes by Jules Pfeiffer, uh, which is this hardcover that has sort of the origins of all the different like superheroes and stuff. It's really interesting because it has Marvel and DC and the spirit in it. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I was always kind of reading comics and gradually, you know, when you're a kid, I started going to different shops here and there. I didn't have like a regular shop that I went to. And I never really had like the addiction problem, you know, where I was like going every Wednesday when I was young. We'll get to that. Uh, when I was really young, and so I started, I would go to Costco, and they would have these packs of comics that were like the overship, the overstock, um, that Marvel and DC at the time were printing, because they were printing so much. And so I was getting those, and just cracking those open and reading them, and just kind of like gradually understanding the idea that there was, this is, I'm really young when I'm talking about this, I'm like six or seven, and like gradually understanding the number system, and sort of the continuity of things, and really getting into it. Um, and then the Batman movie came out, and it started getting worse, you know, you started like buying whatever you can, right? But at the time, I still wasn't going to comic shops on a regular basis. It was, like, always places I saw comics, but not the comic shop. And then Batman Returns came out uh, in 92. So I was 11. And this brand-new comic book store opened up next door to the movie theater. And they had a deal where if you bought, or if if you went and saw Batman Returns and you took your ticket sub to the comic shop, they would give you a free comic uh it was like a free dollar comic which at the time the dollar bin was still really good because a lot of the comics were still a dollar dollar 25 dollar 50 right and so i went and saw batman returns got all the ticket subs for my family members and went over there and just dropped off this like stack of ticket subs and then got all these batman comics so that summer i saw batman returns 17 times in the theater <laughs> And what I would do is, after the movie was over, I would walk, wait for the lights to come up, and I would quickly walk up and down the aisles and find ticket subs that had fallen. And get, get a pile of them, and go into my comic shop and drop that pile and get more Batman comics. And that's when I started going every week. And I was going every Saturday for a while, and then I learned, oh, comics come out on Wednesday? Okay. 
started going on Wednesdays. Started going uh, like after school, I'd ride my bike and buy uh, comics. Like immediately, I would go and I'd buy like you know whatever I could do, like ten dollars in comics. Um, and I was still buying single issues. I was buying. I would go crazy on dollar bins. Like I loved dollar bins. When I was a kid just because it's a dollar, you know. So you get so much for that. And uh, did that for a while. And then when I was 14, uh, that same comic book store, there was, a, there was three locations, and one of them was in a mall. And I started going to one in the mall, which was a little closer to where I lived. And I started riding my bike to that one on Saturdays, just kind of hanging out. And a little bit, like, in the summer, I was the other one. I was, like, that annoying kid that would, like, hang out. And they gradually started putting me to work. They were like, well, we need someone to crack open all these packs, put sets together for, like, Marvel Masterpiece cards, right? So I started doing that. And then gradually the manager was like, do you want to just work here on Saturdays? And I was like, hell yeah. I was like, I was a 14-year-old kid. And I was like, yes, I'll do that. That is awesome. I get paid. And they were also, it was like a deal where I would get paid under the table. But I would also get like free comics. Um, and I would just like hang out and talk about comics all day. And mostly I was just making bags and boards, you know, and checking prices in Wizard. And so I just started doing that. Did that uh, all through high school. Also reading comics all through high school and having my addiction getting worse and worse. I remember being, you know, I was 18. No, they sound like 16, 17. But that moment where you're like, I have $20 and I have, I can get lunch, gas, and comics. And making the decision of like how I was going to divvy that money up. And I'll be like, all right, $5 on comics, $5 on gas, $10 on lunch. Right. And then by the time I walked out of the comic book store, it would be like, $15 on comics, $5 on gas, and I'll go home and make myself a sandwich. Like, <laughs> and so, um, then I got, you know, I got to a certain age where I went to college. Um, stopped working at that comic book store, went to another, went to college, found this comic book store that was amazing, uh, called Amazing Comics in Long Beach, California. It was this huge store. It had, like, everything. Uh, and so I got a job there. After being in college for a few months, I am getting a job there. I worked there for a few years. I think I worked there until about, God, what year was that? I don't even know anymore. I want to say 2002, might have been 2003. I even longer than that. Um, stopped working there. Got a job at another comic book store where I was the manager. Worked there for about a year and a half, two years. Uh, and then I got a job, I was an art director uh, working at, at that time I was a design company, but I had worked part-time at a video game company for a little bit while I worked at the comic book store. I just kind of kept doing that for a while. Like, that was the thing, like, uh, working in art and then just reading comics, man, and, like, getting so much stuff, it was crazy. Many, many years later, uh, in 2008, I sold my comic book collection. I had 80 long boxes at that point. Holy cow. I don't even know how many. I had, that's, that's single issues. I don't even, and more than half that wasn't bagged and boarded. It cost me so much money to bag and board everything when I was selling it. But I kept still, even not being bagged and boarded, you'd be surprised. Because some of those comics, the pressure in there, like, they still maintain, you know, they're still in good condition. Even if they're not bagged and boarded. Um, which I'm sure you know, working at a store, you find books that you're like, man, this isn't bagged and boarded, but this is, like, mint, you know? Um, but then I uh, I don't even know how many boxes of like trades and hardcovers I had. It's crazy. I had almost all the bar, almost all the Marvel Bowen minibus, and I had almost all the Batman Black and Whites up until that point. I had, I had all of them up until the Magnolia one. That was when I had stopped. 
because I had, like I had moved. And so I sold my comic book collection. We went up to, to Portland because I wanted to go freelance. I wanted to try to write comics full time. All right, well, let me and let so, me stop you there for one second. Yeah, go ahead. And, and so and just ask the question: Is that go why? Is that why you sold your collection to move out to Portland and to take take your crack at the comic book industry? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was that, and also there was no way I was moving that stuff up to Portland. <laughs> like, I mean, basically, I had a storage unit. Like, I got a whole storage unit of comics. I mean, it was crazy. It was just, it took me, I had to like do multiple trips to the moving van when I moved back to my house just so I could organize everything and double check everything. Uh, while this was going on, I was doing some mini comics. I started doing mini comics in the early 2000s, like 2001. And I had this goal of like every year I was going to put out a comic. I did that every year up until about uh, 2007. I started publishing a book called Necessary Evil. And uh, that got picked up by, but then I was still had like I still had a regular day job. I was publishing books every month at that point. Like I was publishing a monthly comic, but I was still uh, having my day job. I was doing mini comics and like trying to get work. Uh, I was doing this thing. I I had to pull it up for you all. This is gonna sound crazy, but I was thinking recently about talking to people who who try to break into comics and explaining to them like the year by year chart of how my career went and this is kind of rough it's not finished yet but it goes so in 2001 starting 2001 i'm gonna say numbers and each number is a year right so it went this is how many books i publish each year it's like one 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 two three three four eight eight five nine twenty one twenty five thirty four like that it just jumps all of a sudden and that was in 2012 like it just all of a sudden it like starts escalating yeah, I think you need to put that together as a as a graphic and put it in the back of one of your comics coming out somewhere down the road. I want to put it online. I'm gonna I'm double checking it to make sure it's like super accurate, and I'm not gonna say what the books were or anything. I'm just gonna put it up and basically be like, for all those people who have published one comic and are like super pissed and not getting calls from Marvel and DC, I want to show you this thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I see that a lot. Like I get people who get really upset, and it's like. I'll, I'll hear about it, and I'm like, well, what have they done? And it's like one book they self-published on Comixology. It's like, guys, come on. You know, like, like chill for a little bit. Like, it takes time. There's a build. You know, there's many, many years involved in, in doing this, you know. Um, but yeah, man, so I just started doing that and started sending out copies of comics to everybody. So then uh, I sold my collection, which was, dude, it was, it was rough, man. It was rough. I regret some of that, because I had really good, solid collections of stuff. Um I was also a collector. Like I would go back and buy back issues, um, and I would seek things out. You know, I would do, I would buy collections. I would go and do like um, bin diving. You know, and um, I had some really nice stuff. I sold it all, made a good amount of money, moved up here, uh, used some of that money, like all the money from the bone statues and the minibus. All that went to paying for colorists and for artists to do the books. Um, and then the rest went into my savings account so I could try to work in comics. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and so then, you know, I got, when Necessary Evil had come out, I started sending it off to different, um, editors to try and get work, and eventually some of them started to bite, uh, and then when Necessary Evil got picked up to be a movie, a made-for-TV movie on Cartoon Network, never happened, but it got picked up for, it got optioned, then they kind of took more notice, and they started giving me more work, and then from that point forward, it's just been this, like, gradual thing of me pitching you know getting some stuff picked up um just since then it's been this like steady stream and then the last three years it's just you know start really snowball a little bit 
Yeah, it seems like, and no offense with this, but your name just mm-hmm. kind of appeared on the scene within the last, like you said, two to three years, and and, yeah. all, and all of a sudden you're everywhere. <laughs> you're you're doing stuff for everybody, and you've got books that are getting an incredible amount of attention. And and one of those books, and we talked about in the intro, is uh, Nailbiter. And yeah. you know, why don't you give us kind of the 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 pitch for Nailbiter? But after that, kind of talk about the the reaction that you've seen to this book. Uh, so Nailbiter is about a small town in Oregon, it's called Buckaroo, Oregon, where 16 of the world's worst serial killers were uh, born and raised. Um, and so this FBI agent came, he basically arrested the worst of that group, who was uh, Edward Charles Warren, who was the Nailbiter, who would kidnap people who chewed their nails. He would hold them captive, and then he would chew their nails for them until he was full, and then he would kill them. Uh, he got arrested, this FBI agent, like, it, it shined all this light on the town, and this FBI agent started realizing, like, there's something wrong here. He came to the small town, to Buckaroo, to try and figure it out. He figures it out, he figures that there actually is a connection, there is a problem, right? There's something making these people become serial killers. He contacted his best friend, who was an army interrogator, who was on suspension, uh, called him, and was like, you're the only person I can trust, I need you to come here and help me um the interrogator arrives and the fbi agent is missing and so the interrogator is trying to find out what happened to his friend which if you read in the book on a regular basis if you read all the issues you know what happened to his friend um but even that's still a mystery you know what happened to him but you don't know who did it to him right right so i mean it's been it's been nutty man like i think the response has been super um interesting like very surprising you know because uh I don't know, man. I was just thinking about this earlier today, like before you and I started talking about how this book went through a lot of changes and got rejected by a lot of people, you know? Um, and there was a lot of people who didn't, didn't think it was going to work and didn't think that it was, uh, worth publishing. Uh, and they got rejected by Vertigo twice. Wow. They're they're lost, man. I mean, they're lost. I know. I know. So it was one of those things where, um, it just kind of was a bummer for a minute and it just felt like everyone I talked to didn't really believe. And, uh, actually Joe Keating was the one I was talking to and having a conversation with. And he was like, you really need to just take it to image. Uh, and I was really nervous, but I wasn't sure. And then, you know, he basically emailed Eric for me and we started talking from there and I'd already done a ton of stuff with image by then. So it wasn't like I was completely unknown. Like I've done books with them. So, and at that point, ghosted was already doing well. You know, Ghosted had already come out and been out for a few months, uh, so they knew like, okay, we can have, we can, we can do this. Um, I mean, same with Mike. I mean, there were people who didn't think Mike was a good artist and didn't think he was good enough for the book, and I had to fight for. I didn't fight for him once we were at Image, but I remember being like, no, Mike's the guy. Like I knew, I knew in my gut, Mike was the guy to draw that book. Well, and that's the uh, thing, you know, in my opinion, what makes a great book. You can't have a story that's that's too good without good art. You can't have art that's great nope. without a solid story. It has to be. The, the marriage of the two. And I had no mm-hmm. idea who Mike Henderson was before I started checking out Nailbiter. And now I'm a huge fan. I mean, I don't know. How, I mean, I'm following him on Twitter. I'm looking at his sketches every day. It's, yeah, he's awesome. He is incredible. And it's a great compliment to the story. T- I mean, you two together, it's a great storytelling team. Yeah, it's crazy. He and I have been working with each other for three years now. I uh, We started doing Masks and Mobsters, which was the book we did with Bucky Brain. That we, have a, we have a collection of at Image. We started working on that a little bit, I would say, around three years ago. And so it was crazy. Like, yeah, we both were 
I don't know, it's funny, we both were working our butts off on stuff, because he had done filler issues at Marvel, and he had done all these different things, and I had done all this stuff at DC, and no one really knew about it until, uh, knew about us at all until Nailbiter came out. Like, it's been, it's been really interesting, and, and it's, it's kind of awesome, you know, it's really cool to hear from a lot of people who enjoy, enjoy the books. Uh, I know Mike and I, we, uh, we hadn't actually met each other until the day Nailbiter number one came out. We, we never met. We had only talked online on the phone and then, like, a lot of instant messaging. Um, and we met at an airport the day Nail by Number One came out, and we both had our phones. And the moment we turned our phones on, they both, like, exploded. You know, just all these messages from people, and it was really, like, surreal. But awesome at the same time. Like, I, I'm incredibly thankful for, like, the attention. Well, it's it's an amazing series, and each issue has been as good, if not better, than the one before. So I know a lot of people... Thank you. Uh, maybe if they're not reading it now, the first trade comes out in October and mm-hmm. is, is October a great, first. great opportunity to, uh, to jump into this series. And what we've seen, especially with a lot of image books, and it seems like image is just publishing, you know, hit after hit after hit. And mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't getting on board with the single issues, uh, but they pick up the first trade and then they jump in at the jumping on point with the single issues. So if, if you're not reading it, folks, you're truly missing out, uh, just an amazing story. But let's let's talk about something else you've got going on. Yeah. You've got uh, Birthright, another creator-owned <laughs> book that's coming out from Image, and that is also shipping in. in I'm sorry, in October. What's yep. the What's the elevator pitch for Birthright? Oh, man. Uh, okay, so Birthright is about a kid who is kidnapped by these fantasy creatures and taken to a fantasy land. He is told that it is his destiny to defeat this evil evil lord rescue a princess and save the kingdom. He does all those things and then they send him back to earth. And it's about what happens to him when he comes back and how different his life is. Um, Cause it's been a year on earth time. And so his family, they thought he had been, he had gone missing. I mean, really the story, a lot of ways is about what happens when a kid goes missing. And so his family has been destroyed. The media thought his dad murdered him. It causes this huge um, change. And his returning is a big deal. And obviously, you, you've you read it, right? So you know there's much more going on than that. I don't want yeah, to spoil I, too much. I, I would say don't even talk anymore about it. <laughs> Just yeah. There, because that's the, the first issue is so full of, of greatness uh, and surprises that, you know, I, the recommendation is just pick it up when it comes out. Uh, but it's it's definitely, you know, it's got the, the sword and sorcery, the fantasy element. Uh, you know, the beginning is almost like a Law & Order episode. Uh, just super cool stuff. Thank you. Yeah, but we put so much work into it, man. I mean, that book, it got picked up by uh, Skybound last May and before Ghost had even come out. And so we had basically started working on it then. And I finished the first script maybe a year ago. And so we've been working on this thing, man. We work on this thing so much, dude. It's crazy. Like, I th- I've never put as much work into a book as I have this book. Uh, it's been the biggest challenge, but I think a lot of ways it's super rewarding and I'm like crazy proud of it and I really hope that people enjoy it as much as we did putting it together. And the art's awesome, man. That guy is so good. Andre Rison. Yeah, again, for me, if the art's not there, it can be the best story and the best written story in the world, but if the art's not mm-hmm. there, it's not going to work for me. And definitely the art is there on, on Birthright. And so I would just yeah. encourage you know anybody that's listening, uh, you know if you're a fan of Josh's previous work or if this sounds interesting to you, let your local comic shop know so that they can add it to your pull list and get you down for a copy so that they can make sure they have enough to meet demand. Because like most of the image books that come out, 
a lot of stores get get caught short because they don't know the right number to order. So the best way is to let your local shop know, hey, I want this book. Yeah, no kidding, man. I remember I worked at the shop. Like, you know, I was a manager, and when I was the manager of the shop, I was in charge of orders. So I was the one sitting there with previews every month. Like, and I would have like previews, the numbers, the money, like how much money we had, like the budget, like everything, and figuring that out. And it was so important. When people came in and they dropped off those pre-order forms. I mean, there's there used to be. I'm not sure if it's still there, right? But there used to be pre-order forms inside the diamond catalog. Yeah, you know? it's it's still there. And yeah, and you can tear it out. And the, the previous catalog in and of itself is a super cool read. <laughs> Usually, um, just pouring yeah. through all that stuff, and yeah, it's it's super easy. And, and I think a lot of people just aren't familiar with the system. Still, I know that a lot of creators are are developing their own pull list forms for people. Uh, I saw you did one for Birthright that was floating around out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know Kelly Sudeconic has done it and, and other creators. And the bottom line is, unfortunately, that the comic book industry is built on pre-orders. Uh, I, I wish it kind of yeah. weren't that way, that we could kind of, you know, have a better feel of things. But with so many different titles coming out every month, and, and I, it's even, you know, much harder now than it was when you were working at a shop, just with the pure volume of comics. And a lot of them are oh, so great. Um, so yeah, definitely get get uh, down for birthright because I, I guarantee that you're not going to want to miss that one. Well, I want to hit on another one yeah. briefly that you've got coming down the road, and you know we could literally talk for an hour about everything that you're working on just mm-hmm. in October. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, you are going to be doing work for Dark Horse. You're part of the Alien slash Predator relaunch, and you're doing a Predator mm-hmm. book. Tell yeah. us about that. Um, yeah, we did this thing where it was like a writer's room, where it was me, Kelly Sue Deconic, uh, Paul Tobin, Chris Roberson, and Christopher Sabella, uh, Scott Alley. There were some other people in the room I don't think we're allowed to talk about yet. Um, but we were able to like basically sit there and break this story and talk about what we wanted to do. And my story follows this predator who we've, we've been calling Ahab, who is basically on his last great hunt. Like he is, there is something out there that he wants. It, it, he's, he's this old sort of broken down predator who really has this one thing that it wants to hunt. And this story is about that. It's about him trying to find and hunt this last thing. But there's also that element of like, be careful what you wish for sort of thing in there. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging too, because it's not, you know, he, predators don't talk and I didn't want to do any kind of weird narration. I didn't want to like give him some kind of weird thing where we could understand what he was saying. Uh, it's all through a lot of his like actions and then there's a supporting character that's actually introduced in Prometheus named Galgo, who is in my book, and he talks a lot. Like he talks enough that he could talk for both of them. Uh, and there's sort of this story about the two of them and their conflict and how this predator again he wants to, to find his last great hunt. I mean it's it's gonna be really a lot of fun when people read that first issue and they see what the predator's trying to hunt. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what Dark Horse does with the uh, Fire and Stone. That's right. Is that what it's called? Right? Yeah, so Fire and Stone. We've yeah. got Prometheus, Aliens, Predator, and Aliens versus Predator. And it's it's hopefully going to revitalize all of those franchises. And with the talent involved, I'm sure mm-hmm. it's going to be excellent. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on a little bit here. You you know we mm-hmm. mentioned that you've been in the industry for you've been in the industry for a long time from a retailer. Yeah. You know up through that and mm-hmm. but what, what's your single proudest moment do you have a proudest moment so far as a comic book creator uh i don't know i think i think when this nail biter trade comes out that's going to be something that's like i really feel like is an accomplishment uh based on what i told you about how there was a time where i i don't want to say i thought my career was over i don't know that's not the way to put it but i was really frustrated with my career was and what i was doing and i felt like 
there was just some, I mean, Ghosted came out, I was really happy with it, but it still felt like it wasn't enough. It still felt like I needed something else. Um, I think when this Nailbiter trade, I'm going to be really happy with it. And there was a lot of stuff in the last couple, that last year or so. Like, I think things really turned around when I started doing Masks and Mobsters, and when I started doing Ghosted, I think things really started to build and get better. Um, you know, there also was Image Expo last year. I think uh, going out there and presenting Nailbiter was, like, a really cool moment. I really felt like it was kind of a graduation day for me in a lot of ways. Well, Image Expo has turned into such a huge event. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know in... Uh, Let's see, 2013, it, it stole so much thunder away from Comic-Con and then kind of bundling it with Comic-Con this year. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to make the trek from Ohio to California for the one-day mm-hmm. event at Image Expo. But you should, it, man. It's, it's amazing. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm watching uh, social media every second there, watching the announcements and seeing what's going on. But yeah, I'm Nailbiter, again, the first trade comes out October 1st. Uh, not too late to get your order in with your local comic book shop. And I know we'll have plenty here at Alter Ego Comics for people to check out. Uh, we talked a lot about the comic book industry, but is there something specific that really excites you about the industry today? Uh, I think there's more options. I think the idea that we have way more options with the industry is uh, really, really cool. You know, I think if you want digital, it's there. If you want trades, it's there. If you want single issues. And I do think looking at the way things are, and I, I, I can be naive sometimes. I, I, I'm a weird mix. I can be very pessimistic and very worst case scenario. Like if the phone rings, I'm like, oh, someone died. You know, like that's how I am. But at the same time, I try to be optimistic and I like to think that things are getting better in our industry. Like I like to think that we're getting more outreach. It's it's the, the dynamics are changing. The diversity is growing. I, I like to believe that. I hope that's the case. From my point of view, I feel like it is. Um, and it could always be more. And so I'm really happy with the idea that I think that we're getting more options. And I think this idea of the market, I, I mean, to me, it feels like the market's growing. Um, I feel like, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for so long. And I look at Image, and I look at where Image is at. Um, recently, I went to Jim Valentino's house with Joe Keating and Lila DeLuca, who does the, um, they do Shutter together. We went over there, and we watched the... Um, the image documentary, the one that just came out. Oh yeah. And we watched that and Joe asked me, you know, he was like, do you think this ever could happen again? Do you ever think that there could be this thing where it was like those original seven guys, original founders were like rock stars. Do you think that could happen again? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I think Kirkman is probably the closest we're going to get to that. I mean, Kirkman has transcended our industry. You know, he makes more money than probably anybody in our industry. And that's how, you know, he's probably more popular. He's created something that in some ways, is its its own thing, right? Can that happen again? And I remember Joe and I talked about it, and I was sort of the naysayer in the conversation. I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But then uh, that was that was two weeks ago, I think. But since then, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I'm like, you know what? I think we could. I think there could be other things like that. I think it could happen multiple times. I think we're getting to a point where we could have more of that, and that to me is like really cool and makes me really look forward to the future. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great answer. I mean, you touched on so many great aspects there from the, the variety of formats that are available to the diversity, not only of, of comics, but of the readership. And, you know, I can tell you from street level, from from being a store owner, you know, we, we've seen a much more diverse audience coming in over the last year or two. And, you know, people of all walks of life that are reading all different kinds of comics and I think that that's one of the struggles that we that we face within the industry is breaking the misconception that it's a boys club that you know it's all capes and tights and that there are you know just like any other form of entertainment whether you're talking about movies or television or novels 
there are so many different genres within comics that there really is something for everybody. And that's, that's really what I try and preach here at the shop mm-hmm. is that, you know, if you are a fan of entertainment, I can find a comic for you. And because there's so much to choose from these days. Well, let's talk about, uh, this is the hardest question usually for most guests. So what mm-hmm. comic book series other than your own would you recommend? Well, that's not so hard for me. I, mean, I read a lot of comics. I spend probably $100, $150 on comics a month, maybe, maybe more. I'm not as bad. I remember when I worked at a shop, there were guys that would come in and drop $100 every week. I'm not, uh, I don't do that as much. Uh, but I buy a lot of hardcovers, a lot of trades. Um, I would say, I'm trying to think of things that aren't like the obvious answer. Like, I love sex criminals, but I feel like everyone already reads that. They don't need my help. Uh, same thing with like Saga. But I really like, um, uh, I really like Deadly Class. I love East of West. Uh, I like Shu. Um, I really love what Joe Keating is doing with Shudder. I actually really lucky I get to read that uh, kind of early. I get to read it um, as a PDF ahead of time because I know Joe, and I love reading it. Every time he sends it to me, I kind of drop what I'm doing and I read it. Um, what else? I really like Undertow. It was a Steve Orlando book um, that came out from this last year. Um, that Rasputin book. I got to read Rasputin number one already. The one that Riley Rossmo was doing with Alex. Yeah. Um, I really like that one. The first issue looked great. It was a cool story. Um, so basically, yeah, man, basically so you love Image Comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I also think you should read like Abe Sapien. I love Abe, Abe Sapien and VPRD over it. Uh, and Hellboy in Hell is so good. Um, with Marvel stuff, man. I read a lot of Marvel stuff. Oh, man. Southern Baptist is really good, too. Um, <laughs> so see now wait a minute this is why I said it's hard it's, it's not hard, yeah, no, it's not there, hard there coming is. up with books it's hard to narrow it down to one. <laughs> oh man if I had to say one book no you're, you're fine you're, you, you've named about 20 so far so yeah, you, you've given people, people read... plenty of things to check out two books that I think people should read that I don't think they're reading are The Bunker and Life After from Oni uh, both uh, by Joshua Hale Fialkov right yeah yeah I think people should read those if you're not reading those you should especially Bunker Jeff and I have talked about this. I like Bunker more than Life After. And I know I don't think he likes when I tell him that, but I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I'm not putting the other one down. I just like one more than the other. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, Bunker has definitely found its audience here. Um, oh, good, man. It's such I a good book. That, that's another one where the trade will just continue to sell, you know, as long as the series is going on. Oh, good. Yeah, that, that book, man. The, the, that trade for the Bunker is such a nice, like, such a nice trade. So well put together. Joe Infinari does a great job. and yeah, it's beautiful, a beautiful comic that I think people should be reading if they're not. Well, Josh, let's get to the last question here. And you, okay. you kind of maybe sort of answered this already, but why do you think that comics are awesome? You know, that's actually probably the hardest question you've asked me. Because for me, it, it's such a deep love, you know? Like, this is a part of my life. Like, this is not something I do. It's not even a job. It's, it's a lifestyle, you know? Um God, why are they so awesome? I think I think I am well for me personally. Comics have given me a kind of awesome life, you know. Um, like who I am is so based around comic books, and not just in the way of that, but I mean like who I am as a as a person, like the morals that I have are so based around comics. Like, the lessons that I learned from Batman, Superman, and the X-Men, and Spider-Man, you know? I mean, there's so many things there that it really shaped who I am. I like to believe I'm a good person. Um, And I wouldn't... I know I wouldn't be that if I hadn't been reading comics, you know? Um, 
I think that they're amazing. I mean, it's the modern, they're uh, modern myths are comic book characters, right? Um, you know, you if you go hundreds and hundreds of years in the future, people look back, if there's still comics around, it would be in the same lineup as the rest of these, like Pantheon Gods, right? I mean, you look at, it's funny we have Spider-Man and Thor in the Marvel Universe, but if you went out, you know, hundreds of years, people look back, it's it would be the same level of, like, these legendary stories of these characters. Um, I think that's really powerful. I don't know. Like, and, and the idea of what they are and how, I mean, I'm a big fan of the written word, and I really think that it's like magic, right? It's a form, like, writing is a form of magic. Like, you create something, you tell a story, and then you can give it to someone you don't even know who is on the other side of, of the world, and they can read it and have an emotional reaction. Like, that's, like, that's, that's magic. You know, it's like you wrote a spell, and I feel like that's how it is with comics. Like, people have these reactions to these things, and, and, and it's, it's awesome. That is truly an awesome answer, and you can tell you know you you're kind of emotional about it with with your connection mm-hmm. to comics. You're spending basically your whole life reading comics, and then graduating from from reader and fan to creator. But still, you know, you're still a reader. You're still a fan, and I think that's so mm-hmm. important with with producing creative content that you really have to love the stuff that you're doing, and and it's obvious that you do. Thanks, man. Well, I do want to thank you for being so generous with your time today. But before we oh. sign, before we sign off, uh, mm-hmm. where where can people find you online? The best place to find me is probably on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Williamson underscore Josh on Twitter, and then my website is thejoshuawilliamson.com. Well, everybody, look for the first collected edition of Nailbiter October first, and definitely add Birthright and Predator Fire and Stone to your pull list now. Josh, again, I want to thank you for being one of the reasons that comics are awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on here. Thank you for listening to the Comics Are Awesome podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and head on over to iTunes to rate and review it.